Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yo. Uh. Yo. Uh. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we about to party. We bout to party, unrestricted, got the house now, we gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down, got that big space pump and make them bounce now, flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Hey everybody, welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling, here with your co-hosts, Tony Schiavone and Aubrey Edwards. How you doing, Tony? I'm fine, Aubrey. How you doing? How's the weather out on the West Coast? It's a little chilly, but uh, I'm not experiencing the crazy weather that our friends in the Northeast and Southeast are experiencing. So screw all you guys. <laughs> yeah, in the uh, in the Metro Atlanta area. And by the way, I do not live in Atlanta. I live in the Metro Atlanta area. We had snow, so the world stopped, and everybody went crazy. Oh yeah. Funny enough, the same thing happens in Seattle because we have hills. So as soon as we have one inch, it's like DEFCON one. It's terrible. But the, anyway, yeah, the hell with the weather. Get to our guest. Let's go. I know. Anyway, we have an incredible guest today. I don't know how we haven't had him yet, but we have D&D enthusiast. We have two contract cutler. We have corporate stooge, associate stooge, whatever you might want to call him. Uh, Brandon Cutler, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. When you, when you list all that, it sounds like I've accomplished a lot, but... <laughs> well, you really have. Thank you, guys. <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, I'm sure people who watch BTE know how involved you are, but to see you constantly working backstage, it's like, yeah, sure, you go out there in a tracksuit and you spray cold spray on people, but, like, you're constantly around with a camera, you're doing stuff, you're editing, like, yeah. you are the heart and soul of that show, and I'm so excited to talk about it and get a little bit more behind the scenes today. Oh, thanks. That's what I, I, I say is you, my actual first contract at this point is the BT stuff, because I feel like I do that a lot more often that I take home with me. So I'm putting in hours, you know, beyond the uh, when we're all there together at the, the Wednesdays. I feel like the people with the office contracts, that tends to be like the general vibe. Yeah. It's like you make more for the talent contract, but the office one tends to always take more time and you're constantly working on it. So as someone who is in a similar boat, I definitely appreciate everything that you do. And it's a lot of unseen hours. So anyway, I want to get to BTE. Matt and Nick Jackson offered you a contract on BTE. And I want to talk about that moment and kind of how you felt the reaction. I know it was super emotional for you, but how was it for you and your wife and your family? Yeah, that, as you saw, just uh, flat out broke down. And that was the popular thing for that news cycle that week. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, insane because at that time it was before everyone was getting contracts. And so I remember then 
it was like a huge honor to get one because it was days before they were going to announce that we had the TNT deal. And so I remember Matt telling me he wanted to make sure that he took care of me and got me signed because he knows as soon as that was going to happen, the floodgates would open and every wrestler in the world would start actually like, oh, this is like real. Maybe I should uh, ask to get a contract and like everybody will buddy buddy up to him. So that meant a lot to me that they were like, yeah, we want to make sure we got you in the door before that happens and before like everyone under the sun comes. And then also just on in my personal life, me and my wife at that time were just struggling as any indie wrestler is to get by. And she was making gear nonstop to just try and make ends meet. That was a, an answer of like, oh my gosh, we don't have to worry about like literally every week just grinding and trying to make enough to just get by and not even you know necessarily save anything or have any extra money. So that also is where the tears came from. It's like, my wife doesn't have to keep working nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Does she still make gear, Brandon? Uh, she makes the Young Bucks gear still, yeah. Oh, she makes that crazy looking stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's <laughs> currently working on some for uh, this uh, next week that we're about to meet up. <laughs> it's the best, man. It's like shower curtain shit. You know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean it, 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 not to disparage her, but that's what the Bucks want. I mean, that's, that's like, what she's going for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She calls it, uh, she creates fashion crimes. That's uh, <laughs> how she words it. Yeah. <laughs> she goes against everything like that she would want or normally do. And she goes right. like, this is uglier. This looks bad. I'm going to do that with it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> Your debut was at 2019 Double or Nothing. And if I think we've got this right. Uh, first, you were the first person ever to do an entrance and step foot in an AEW ring. To walk out. Can't take that away from you, can they? Yeah, that was wild. That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about back to, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, we've done so much in the, in what, the three years we've been a company. So, like, thinking even just that of, oh, yeah, that was a thing that happened. Yeah, that was wild. Uh, it was a great reception while I walked out. I think just because it was like, you know, the buzz is in the air of this huge show that's building. And then, just it's like hey, oh here we go we're starting <laughs> yeah that was incredible i remember backstage too because it was the uh where you know five people come out at once right we were all like uh, like i didn't even want to come out first i was like oh it's somebody else like you, you go out first and like no i don't want to like everyone was nervous they're like i don't want to go out first like you go <laughs> so i was like uh, okay I'll, all right i'll i'll lead the charge or whatever but like no nobody wanted to be the first one out. I think everybody wants to be in the comfortable, like, I'll be second or like fourth <laughs> in there. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, all right, I'll I'll walk out. <laughs> it's that fear of being the opener, I think, as as wrestlers and people in wrestling. It's like I don't I want the the comfortable, like crowds already warmed up. Yeah. I don't want to go very first. Like I don't have to worry about being the one yeah. to like get them all riled up. But it's like that show sold out in like five minutes or whatever. So it's like the crowd's already warmed up. You took the advantage of like you're gonna take the first spot. Of course yeah on our end in the backstage we don't recognize like the buzz that's in the air in the audience because we're so worried and in our own little bubble and like stressed and you know we all got to like usually pee and crap before we're going out <laughs> like we got that stomach feeling of even if you don't even have where you just went you still get that stomach feeling of oh god i, I don't want to do this and then the moment you step out you're like okay it all kind of washes away so we don't know, you know, that there's a buzz out there and they're just going to be happy to see anyone. One of the things I really liked about that Double or Nothing show, just kind of go back to your the, the family nature of Brandon Cutler. I think your wife was backstage pushing a uh, stroller around. Yeah. It was such a great picture because immediately to me, it was like, oh, AEW is all about family. Like this has been something we've been pushing. Like we talk about Brandon Cutler being a family man on BTE, but then seeing like how supportive family is 
especially like your wife being the person that makes gear for the young bucks and then her being there to like help with gear and support and all this, but also at the same time, like being a mother never stops. Like I absolutely love that. It was so, so great. That's always been our uh, thing is we, we never really have anyone that we would want to watch our kids. Like we had kids, so we watch them. Like, I don't want to like push them on anyone. So then that's where that ends up of like, Oh yeah. Even if they come to a show, my wife will have the kids at the show. Yep. Yep. And it's great that we allow that backstage. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Bring your kids, bring your family. And anytime we're in someone's hometown, it's usually that where somebody has family. It's it's great. I love meeting people's, not just knowing people, uh, their characters and their, their wrestling names of meeting their, their shoot kids and stuff. I think we were in uh, <laughs> we were in Raleigh last week when we uh, recorded this. And like Matt Hardy does a promo. And immediately, like, just starts calling out his family and the cameras all go to, like, his army of children and his wife. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Like, this isn't, like, an uh, like an unheard of concept. Like, for us, it's like, we're in his hometown. Like, of course, show his family, even though he's a heel. Yeah. It's like, let's let's promote the fact that he's this awesome family, man. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And I love the term shoot kids. The shoot That's, kids, yeah. <laughs> these are my shoot kids. <laughs> not, the, not the kayfabe kids. <laughs> Does anyone have kayfabe kids? I'm wondering, like. I was just trying to think of an example. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have a I have a kayfabe son up in the Pacific Northwest, and he calls me mother every time he sees me. But it's like, mm-hmm. let's <laughs> investigate that. Hey, hey, my notes preparing for this. I watched the Adam Cole episode, and Tony was talking about how he's the on the road father to Britt Baker. So there right. you go. That's a kayfabe kid and dad. <laughs> That's what it is. Very there good. you go. <laughs> okay, I want to go back to BTE a little bit. How did you originally become involved with BTE and the content creation and all the behind the scenes aspect of that? Uh, So that really started happening um, when AEW was kind of announced, but we still were only doing pay-per-views. So like there would be three months in between some of our shows. And so the Bucks would go like pop in at some of the indies around the U.S. to like build buzz and just like just do something too. And so anytime they were doing that around uh, in SoCal or even when they would go to AAA in Mexico, they would have me tag along and then I would just film for them so that it's not one of them or it's not a, a selfie type camera angle. And then just while I was hanging around them, you know, the three of us, we get along so well and we have the same kind of like uh, mindset that I would just pitch some ideas of like, oh, maybe you should say this or, oh, yeah, well, you said this a couple episodes ago. Let's bring that back and say that again. And so we would just mesh so well that they're, I think that's what kind of led them to be like, yeah, we should have him just with us all the time to help film this because it's way easier to have someone, you know, film them too, since they're the stars of it. And then just to remind and like, you know, I kind of keep a little catalog of a lot of BT stuff going on. So it's kind of like, you know, you do the job that you want before you, you actually get as that where I was kind of like, yeah, this would be a fun thing to do is go on the road with you guys. Even if I'm not a wrestler of like, yeah, if I just do this BT thing. That'd be cool. And so I was kind of hoping to even just like get my foot in the door with that of like, yeah, even if AEW doesn't want me as a wrestler, maybe I can uh, just, you know, be some production or something. <laughs> yeah. So fans know. And and so we know, just to be clear, you, uh, as far as BT is concerned, you shoot and you also, do you edit it together and post it? I edit it. Yeah. You're the, you're the producer behind all of this. Yeah. Nick was doing it for the, the longest time. And then, like I said, around that, that when AEW was born kind of a thing, that's when it started to transition. Cause then I, uh, I would film it, but then Nick would still edit it. And then after a little while, I would just like take it off his shoulders or I'm like, Hey, if you want me to edit it this week, I'll edit it. And so for like a full month or two, we would just kind of swap. It'd be like, Oh, you could get it this time or I'll get it this time. And then it just eventually became me, you know, time after time to where 
was like, oh, this is just kind of now I'm the editor. <laughs> what? How's it feel to see what BT has become? Because it's a fixture yeah. for wrestling fans. It really is. It's so cool when I see that we'll do something on BTE and then it get transitions onto Dynamite. Where like like John Silver's the the main one uh, lately that's been doing it. Where you know he he had had nothing where they weren't even signed. They were just on like the per appearance deal for the longest time, and they were stressed and they were like, "We got to try and actually get full on signed. We want to do something." And uh, Matt was all, "It's just to have you guys do stuff on BTE," uh, and then that's where, as we see, uh, Tony always shares the. Uh, message with uh john there of like oh i think he's he's onto something with bt there we should bring it onto the show and then like you know that's one of the major examples but like there's a lot of even little things that progress from bt that move on or things that like we just continue a storyline on bte as it progresses like the hangman stuff was another big one where like you kind of had to watch dynamite and bte to get the entire story between that sure because there was stuff that like if you just only watch dynamite you might miss out on some big factors that were on bte in that story there's also just that idea of i don't know i feel like when i watch bte i'm definitely one of those like oh i i see like a little bit behind the curtain even though it's something completely kayfabe like adam cole getting murdered and then being resurrected <laughs> via seance it's like that's obviously not canon on dynamite because that would be a little funky yeah. probably play well with everything else <laughs> but it's also one of those like when when a joke is made, like you feel like you're in on it because you have this extra bit of layer to it. And yeah. As a fan first, I remember like the first time I showed up on BTE, I'm like, guys, guys, I'm on BTE. This is great. <laughs> and it was like me in the background or something. It wasn't even like a spot or whatever. So I I absolutely loved it. It's just like yeah. it's one of those things that like it's a career marker of like I was on BTE. Like that's how you know you made it. It's like, it's yep, whatever. <laughs> I was there. I got that, yeah. I'm with you on that because when it's all said and done with me, which could be at any time at my age, but when it's all said and done with me, I'm going to remember the Starbucks skit that I did on BT. Oh yeah, those are hilarious. Yeah, I, that's that. Yeah, that's that stays with me. Those are things that I remember. Those are those are great freak. You feel hip. You feel like you're hip. on BTE. That's the right place to do a lot of those jokes. Right. All the people that like know the jokes are like, oh, okay. Like we we're rewarding our viewers for being so like diehard of like, if people know, then it's like, okay, you get the joke. And then we just have fun with it where it's, you can't do that on dynamite. <laughs> can't have pre-tapes of Tony Shavani serving Starbucks with Matt Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. One of the, one of the things that's kind of great just to play into this a little bit though, is seeing the behind the scenes stuff. It's like, People see everyone wrestling in the ring on Dynamite, but then when they watch the Cutler cam, they get the little ringside yeah. bits with your commentary that go along with it. <laughs> and it's almost like you get this extra depth to the match because we're watching what your perspective is, which is often like in the corner and the guys will come over and like say some stuff, which always happens in matches, even if it's not BTE, like everyone's just kind of like, yeah. I know I'm trying to like joke around and have fun in my matches, even when it's like a super serious situation. So when did the idea to do the color cam sort of come around? It was probably Matt's idea. I'm sure that it was like, oh yeah, I'll just get some footage while I'm out there with you guys. And then as I got more comfortable, just flat out, filming and not being like oh this is kind of weird because like we have full-on like tens of thousands of dollars worth of cameras filming this that i have a little or i had my cell phone that i'm like this is getting this is terrible footage compared to what we're producing <laughs> then it just you know we'd watch it back and we'd be like oh yeah did you catch that when i told you this uh, in the thing i'm like yeah i have that on video actually and that was like the fun little easter egg in bt then to where i have 
a lot of footage, as you say, a lot of us talk a lot out there to where I have so much footage that I'm like, one day, this will be really cool to show the world. <laughs> but like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that it's like, yeah, I can't show that. I can't air that. Or a lot of it, it is just uh, like a uh, time cues that I, I have picked up on the mic that it's, you know, somebody coming up to, I don't know how unrestricted we get here. <laughs> oh, very unrestricted. Whatever you want to share. Okay. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, the rest are, you know, knocks or you, somebody just being like two minutes, guys, two minutes. And it's just clearly just into my camera where I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. We're talking with Brandon Cutler and we need to talk about when he started childhood friend of Mitten, uh, Nick and Matt and talk about his involvement in the elite as we continue on Unrestricted. This is AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey here with the amazing, wonderful two-contract Brandon Cutler. All of the things that he does behind the scenes of BTE, as well as being an on-screen wrestler and associate stooge. This is all wonderful, and we've we've barely touched the surface on some of the things that you've done at AEW and for AEW. Before we forget, I want to talk about one of my favorite storylines in all of AEW history, is your feud with Peter Avalon on Dark. <laughs> And just how absolutely incredible this was. I think it was the first time we had a double count out. Yeah. The first time we had a disqualification finish. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time we had D&D dice used as a weapon. <laughs> Hopefully won't be the last, but I hope like I'm not the one going through them kind of a thing. <laughs> you lost almost 30 straight matches. And the whole story was built around the idea of who's getting their first win. Yeah. Which is, an, to me, is an absolutely incredible thing that is like, that's one of the reasons why AEW Dark is so good. Because... That's something that maybe won't necessarily make its way to dynamite, but it's one of those fun stories that I think people really attach themselves with and seeing like Leva being torn between you and Peter and who she was going up against and kind of touching back on your BTE promoting a story that came from BTE is now here and whatnot. That was another one that uh, you had to watch dark and BTE to get the whole story. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I want to, I want to talk about what it was like, like you and Peter putting that together, like whose idea was it to put together the feud and then eventually like bring it to what it was. Uh, so that was another one that was like early on in AW when we first started doing some of the dynamites was, I think I was at, I want to say six losses already when we were just doing, and we would just do like two or three darks before the show or like one after the show. And at that time too, because it was so fresh, the win loss record, everyone character wise and just shoot. Everyone was nervous about having a bad looking record so like you know i would see guys like oh man i gotta get a win or like stressing about their character getting a win where i'm like wait this has never mattered in wrestling like you know on the indies we all just want to get booked i don't care who wins or loses we just want to have the best match possible so like i was noticing as we were like pushing a lot of the win-loss records people stopped caring or not stopped caring but it was less of have the best match to it was more like well, I got to win the match too now, right? Like people are caring a lot more about winning. And when I see people go one way, I just, I got to go the other way. Like, that's just how I kind of work. So I was like, I really want to go. I see a lot of people stressing about they got to win or their characters are looking weak. And I'm like, I got to have the the worst record. I'd rather go that way and still show people that you could have a good story with it. So it's less about, you know, you got to win and more about, oh yeah, I'll, I'll have a good story even that I'm losing. So I remember after one of the shows, like I said, I was around like the sixth loss in a row. I was telling Matt and Nick because uh, Peter was also a- around that. He was probably five or six, too. And I was like, me and Peter should maybe get to like 10 losses or we're both at nine. And we should have a match to see who gets their first win. Because, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, it's, it'll be kind of a fun thing. 
And then Nick goes, you got to get way more than that. He's like, you got to get to 20 before it matters. I was like, oh my God, you want me to lose 20 matches in a row before I finally win one? And he's like, yeah. He's like, if you want to make this story like actually matter, you got to like have a lot. Yeah, there's got to be a big background to it. So I was like, all right, we'll see. I was like, let's see when I get to 10. And then, you know, maybe we'll feel different. And then it was just, it kept going, you know, it was like 10. And the next week I'd get booked. And it was immediately 11. I was like, oh, well, okay. You can't just go at 11 and have them. So I was like, yeah, I guess we got to try and go for 20. And then kind of the pandemic hits uh, and we're all stuck in Jacksonville forever. <laughs> it's a curse and a blessing because now we have kind of like free run to do a lot, especially with the darks. And so that's where I kind of came up with the uh, the extended story. And the whole time I'd be pitching this to Peter and he was down for everything. Every time I'd be like, Ooh, oh, yeah, Peter's great. Yeah, he's a very open book and and that he's just willing to like go on this losing streak with me <laughs> of like, so that means you can't ever win a match either. OK, Peter, every match you have to tell you have to lose. <laughs> we kind of outlined it to where it would be like, OK, we'll finally just have that match. And then when we would finally book it, it, it was going to be all right. One of us wins. And I originally wanted him to win because I was like, OK, you could get a win. And as a heel, you could parade around that you you're undefeated now. You know, you got a streak, even that it's just one. <laughs> so that's the direction I wanted to go because I was on me as the baby face. I could get a win later down the road and it'll still be cool. But I'm like, let's get you the, the win first. And then again, Nick was just like, well, no, on the storyline, like the baby face has got to win this whole feud. You got to like you know, go that route. So we were still kind of on the fence of who's going to win. And then when we were going to have that match, everyone would come up to me and be like, are you guys going to actually do it? Or is it going to be like a DQ? I want you guys to keep continuing this. So then we did the first one where it was, I think the first one was a double count out. Yes. Then we were like, okay, and then we'll book the, the next one and that will have the actual winner to where I even had some of our, like um, our production crew, I did like a promo and we were saying, this is going to be the, like the, the last one or whatever. In the middle of from what that that week to the next week, again, everyone was getting on the case of like, you guys got to keep this going. You can't end it yet. So it was like, OK, I guess we'll do a double DQ if Tony's good for it, because we don't want to do a bunch of DQs. So we asked him and he was like, OK, yeah, I'll let you guys do it. So we we're like, OK, so now we'll end that second match in a double DQ now. <laughs> It kept going on where I was like, well, when are we going to end this? Like, we can't go. So I was like, okay, rules of three, the third one, let's actually end it. And then that's where, uh, along with the uh, the Young Bucks storyline, where they could, like, come out because they were trying to get some redemption in their characters at that time, too. So it was like, oh, okay, this works out if they come out for my, my win at the end there. But it was really cool that Peter and Tony and, like, the company, is that we were allowed to just make the storyline. And like run it by him and he was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Throughout the whole thing, he just approved kind of everything as we were going. And it progressed just because he just let us kind of have so much free reign with it. We're talking with Brandon Cutler. And, of course, he is part of a big storyline now, which is the elite faction. Uh, and you come out with the track suit and the face mask on. Obviously, behind the scenes, they really give you shit. <laughs> Even mispronounce your name and all that's really bad. When did you realize? I know the face mask started at part of a legit injury. But when did you realize... Hey, this face mask is here to stay. It was, I think, the second or third week that I was wearing it that I would just like see pictures of myself in it. And I'm like, oh, well, this is a look. <laughs> just being a bald, like white guy, you know, it's so default. Like, right. there's just nothing to it. It's like, oh, man, you know, in wrestling, you got to have a little something else to like, you know, make you look a little more like a, like a star. 
And so I was like, ah, oh, I can't just be a plain. That's why I started doing the face paint when I was the dragon guy. Cause it was like, well, it's kind of boring. And I just got nothing. When I switched over to the stooge, the face mask became like, oh, well now that's my face. <laughs> right. So that's where like, you know, I'm well past healed the injury. Like it only took like three or four weeks to get cleared from it. <laughs> where I still get people asking me till this day, like, are you still injured? How long does it take to get your face healed? And I'm like, it's been healed guys. This is just my face now. Like, <laughs> this is what I, this is what my face looks like. I look like this. <laughs> yeah. It's with the clear mask. That's what my, my face is. <laughs> so with along the, the mask and the tracksuit, I think I know, but I want to get confirmation from you. Where did the cold spray come in from? Uh, that was another Matt Jackson idea where he wanted, he had the idea to have someone be his actual like young boy, like back in Japan, where they would have uh, the guys that come clean up the streamers after an entrance and they would have the cold packs and the cold spray right after a match. So was, I kind of want to, you know, these uh, they're going to the next level of douchery that they were like, I want to have, I want to be like, <laughs> so like, just like cocky and, you know, I, like I have my own team with me that it's like, I want a guy that's there spraying me down. And so he pitched it that I took that over since I had the injury. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. That sounds like a, a hilarious uh, character to be. So he's like, yeah, we'll have you in a tracksuit. And, uh, you know, you clean our streamers up and then cold sprays after matches. And so he bought some off of the internet and had them for me uh, on that first, whatever dynamite it was that they they had me introduce the character. And so I was like, all right. And then that just became a thing of it's so fun to spray that I'm just constantly doing it on everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's absolutely great. And, you know, we've touched on Matt and Nick a lot on this podcast, but I kind of want to go back to before AEW, did they actually trained you, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Matt and my brother back. We used to do the, the good old backyard wrestling. <laughs> and so we all did it a lot, but um, they actually went to a place and got trained and then they would come back to the backyard <laughs> and just train the rest of us like, you know, runs that were around uh, as we were all doing it. And then, so it was a combination of that. And then we would all take a lot of indie bookings together. And so before those shows, uh, we would use the ring time a lot as well. And then after a little while, they bought an actual ring, which they would run their HRW shows with. But so then it was almost every Saturday, they would run trainings for other people that they would book. And then I would just do it with them because it's like, well, I'm not going to just stand on the sidelines. I'd rather get the reps in. Yeah, you were, if you read the book, uh, Killing the Business, you were a childhood friend of Matt and Nick. Yeah. You guys grew up together, right? Yeah, I met him when I was like 12 or 13. Right. Okay. 34 now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah. so uh, who came up with that first ring name of yours? Ronnie Tsunami. Well, Ronnie said that was a, a Matt Jackson idea. So he has all the ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it was when they were starting to get their HRW thing together that he was like, I want to see if somebody would do the gimmick of a surfer. And so when somebody does like a drop down, he just steps on their back and like surfs on them. <laughs> and so I, I was pretty much, you know, just done training and I just didn't have like any gimmick ideas. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. I got like a surfer body, you know, I'm a slim guy i had like you know washboard abs and all that i was all you know the young you know slim type surfer looking dude so i was like i'll do that i'll see how that goes since i got nothing else i can't think of any other gimmicks so i was like i'll do that for a little while so <laughs> you and your brother initially were wrestling together and yeah. i think you both retired early 2010s yep. but then you came back later around 2018 what was behind your decision to come back to wrestling uh, that was a lot of different stuff. So uh, during that time that I was gone is when I had met my wife and she knew me through some of the wrestling videos because she knew someone else that used to wrestle with us back then. 
And so she, while we were dating, uh, and even when we got married, she would always still tease because she's such a great, like we would do a lot of cosplaying at uh, conventions together. And she would always tease like, Oh, if you had met me back when you were wrestling, I could have made your gear and stuff. And I was always like, you, uh, the, based on the cosplays we've done, I'd be like, you would have made better gear than I ever had. <laughs> and so we would just joke about that. And she would always be like, you should get into wrestling again. I'd make your gear. Like, you know, you got a great body for it. Like it's, she's, she was always behind pushing me back into wrestling because I was still friends with Matt Nick. So I'd still just see everything going on. And that was around the time that BTE was building up with their new Japan stuff they were doing in ROH. And so it looked so fun. They were making wrestling look like it was a blast again. I was like, okay, it's not like if you're on the indies, it's just stressful and you just want to make it to WWE and you know, you're not happy until you get there. I'm like they're making the indies look fun where it's just, yeah, just go have a blast and just, you know, don't take it too seriously. So I was like, I think wrestling kind of the landscape has changed where I think I could do it and not be just so stressed and I could just do it as a side hobby. I'll still keep my my day job and I'll just do it as a side thing and just be happy. And then it started becoming like that was when AEW was slowly growing, like it was in that same year. And so, you know, when all that's brewing up, it's like, maybe I could quit my day job and, you know, maybe we could do this. <laughs> <laughs> it all kind of lined up really well. But yeah, it was a lot to do with just Matt and Nick and being the elite because they just made wrestling look so fun again in that era. We have a lot of fan questions which have queued up here on AW Unrestricted, and we're going to hit Brandy Cutler with the fan questions. Sweet. I'm, I'm curious how many are from my Twitch chat. Hello, and welcome to AEW Unrestricted. You've already been listening to the amazing Brandon Cutler talk a lot about his involvement with Matt and Nick since he was 12 years old, getting into wrestling, getting out of wrestling, getting back in, and now being the guy behind BTE and all of the magic that happens on screen there. We've talked a little bit about your, your involvement with Peter Avalon and that whole story. So I want to go into our first fan question from Eric uh, Jodko on Twitter. Whose idea was it for Peter Avalon to show up at your house and talk shit to you at the beginning of the pandemic? Man, I don't remember who had that bit in mind because we were stuck in Cali during the beginning of the pandemic. And so we did like a little show at Nick's house I don't remember who came up with it, but yeah, it was that Peter shows up at a house and then it, it turns out that it's, oh, my house, just so he can mock me. I don't remember who it was. It was either Peter or I'm going to say Matt. Matt is a, a lot of the brains behind a lot of the stuff. <laughs> so it was either him or just, a, a you know, Peter has a great mind, too, for his, his character and coming up with some of that stuff. Let's drop down and get one from the Wrestling Independent, which tells me this guy is... Got his own website. <laughs> yeah. How much cold spray do you inhale, Brandon? Ever <laughs> accidentally get high or lightheaded off of it? Uh, no, I never. I've never <laughs> just spraying it before I go out. That's my. <laughs> yeah, you got the mask, right? <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of the guys do the uh, the hot stuff before they go out. I'm just cold spraying. <laughs> right. <laughs> get that cinnamon scented cold spray to really uh, just open up the uh, nasal mm -hmm. cavities. Oh, that'd be great. You should go into that. Sell that. I thought about that one time when I, I was starting to run low on some of the cold spray. And I was like, I wonder if I should just bring some like, like just like the house scent sprays and like make that like a bit like Brandon, you idiot. This is a cold spray. Like I'm just like, <laughs> right out, guys. I'm sorry. So it's still an idea that I have, you know, that maybe I'll eventually do. But I think that's a, a funny go to is just I, my character just is any kind of sprays now at this point. <laughs> you just come out with hairspray. Suddenly yeah. makeup department's <laughs> complaining that all of their hairspray supply is being dwindled. Can't tell why. <laughs> We don't know. Question from Lamora. Is there anything about the creation of BTE episodes that most people are unaware of that would help them appreciate it even more? 
man, I'm not sure. I mean, like everyone knows I have to edit it, but that's like, that's not a, a known thing. Oh, the one is usually after pay-per-views because sometimes if it's on a Sunday, the pay-per-view, uh, BT comes out Monday morning uh, in California time. It's 9 a.m. Yeah, so those uh, on the pay-per-view nights, when we're all done at whatever time it probably is uh, in whatever time. Close so, to midnight. Yeah, midnight or one. You know, we get to the hotel at one. I usually, because uh, I always try and get like a lot of the ringside or match stuff. And I like to make a little like music video of the match for a, a pay-per-view thing. Cause like they're five-star matches. So I'm like, I don't want to just do like my commentary, like any other dynamite or something. I want to make it a little special. And so those take usually about three or four hours to edit. I remember the last pay-per-view, I think I went to sleep at 6.30 or 7 a.m. I was like, all right, BT is uploading. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> so like, you know, Matt's the one that always has it like go live. He'll switch it over. And so I'm like, it's uploading. I'm going to go to sleep. Hopefully it just uploads while I sleep. <laughs> but I guess that's the one if people want to know appreciating after pay-per-views, how I get you guys a BTE within hours of the pay-per-view ending. <laughs> so four times a year, <laughs> you know, not too bad. <laughs> Craig Evans wants to know, when can we expect more critical botch? And if you could have any wrestler guest star over an episode like Paul White did, who would it be? I definitely want to have... Nyla or Evil Uno guest because ever oh. since the beginning of it, they've been expressing interest that they're like, oh, that'd be fun. I'd like to do that. We never know when the next one's going because we just try and every time we're at home of like, hey, do you guys want to try and play it? And then like two people can't. So it's like, ah, okay. And that's a common thing in D&D as it's a common joke that the hardest part of D&D is getting a grown adults to get together, you know, for a lot and a lot of time. <laughs> So the, the answer of when the next one is, that's undetermined. Uh, never know. Usually at the fan fests, we've been doing it. So at least you'll get one at the fan fests for sure. E-Rock asks, now that you're the stooge and no longer the dragon, I feel like you and Nakazawa would make a great team. Are there any plans for a tag team run with you two? That would be another great kind of story. I think I could kind of come up with with uh, the two of us tagging. I feel like me and Peter did the whole, like the tag team that doesn't work. Like we just can't get on the same page. That was fun to explore. But I feel like me and Nat could be just the uh, the goon squad <laughs> kind of tag team. <laughs> Flighty by name wants to know, when are the Bucks? And I was wondering about this myself. When are the Bucks going to permit you to wear the coolest gear in wrestling again? We miss the epic dragon coat. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I would love to explore again because I was realizing the entire run of that dragon jacket was in the pandemic in Jacksonville. So like live audiences, I, I think there was, I had it for like two episodes before the pandemic of like that I got to go out in a stadium and people could really see it. But I'm like that whole thing, the dragon mask was pure pandemic era. No one in a stadium has ever seen it kind of a thing. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to eventually bring it back just so that people could see it in person. I would love to, I, you know how wrestling is though. Who knows if like, I just do this cold spray thing the rest of my career. It's what I'm known for or something. I never get to explore it, but I personally would love to explore it again at some point. I love it, particularly just because of the timing of things like for elite general manager season two was all focused on the elite. And I remember talking to our artists and they're like, we're so excited to do an alternate skin with Brandon Color and the dragon cape and the mask. And I'm like, guys, he doesn't do that anymore. 
we have to prioritize the track jacket. And then once you get that, done, then you can go do the other one. And they're like, but it's so cool. And I'm like, I, I understand. I'm going to be that awful project manager and tell you that this isn't as important. Yeah. Even though, honestly, we all love it. We all want to see it first. So I'm glad we had the time to, to squeeze it in at least. Yeah. The wrestling cycle, it goes so quick that it's like a lot of the stuff that Young Bucks is coming out where they're still wearing tassels. And it's like, man, that's kind of old at this point. But right. it's just the wrestling cycle. It goes so fast. <laughs> You're having new Jordans release every week, and then you've got to have Young Bucks like match with the Jordans. It's, you, you can't keep up. It's too it's too difficult. Yeah. <laughs> One feral raccoon asks, on a scale of zero to Lego brick, how painful are D4s to land on? Uh, that's a question for Peter, though, right? Because I have no <laughs> idea. I can assume. I would think D4s, because it's a little culture, it's a little pyramid. There is no like a Lego brick. You At least it, it's a flat end. So if you land flat on it, you might be okay. But it's a pyramid. That's a lot of stabbies. I would assume it's uh, a lot worse. <laughs> uh, Jake Chavez wants to know, what's your brother Dustin up to? Uh, he's a personal trainer now. That's what I was doing when I was out of wrestling for those years. I was a personal trainer. We were both uh, going down that road. He's moved to Texas since then, and he's a, he's a successful trainer out there. This is an interesting question that I definitely want to know more about. Pyre's RP Gear says you really need to ask him about his upcoming cooking show on Twitch. Tell me about, the, like, first, put over your Twitch. Now tell me about this cooking show. <laughs> so on Twitch, I always discuss my simple tastes, that I'm such a default plain vanilla is my favorite ice cream kind of a thing. <laughs> like, I don't do seasonings when I'm making food. It's the simplest version of it. My wife loves lasagna, so I'll tease her about how many steps it takes to make a lasagna, where I'm like, I'll never do that in my life. That's way too much work. <laughs> like, you know, just warm up a Pop-Tart or something for me. Right. I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a hot topic on my Twitch is uh, my, my food takes or that I my lack of cooking that I do. <laughs> so there will, the, the cookbook, if I ever did one, would be a two-step cookbook of, you know, warm <laughs> and eat. <laughs> Cleric of Bahamut. Favorite video game of all time. Ooh. Wow. Of all time. Jeez. I don't know. That's too big. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I could tell you my favorite game right now is Sea of Thieves. Yes. <laughs> For the last like two years, it's been my favorite game. So, but I don't know about all time. Sarah Sutfin says, I'm fairly new to D&D and I love it. What is your favorite type of character to play and why? And do you have any tips for people who are newer to the game? Oh, nice. I loved as, well, I mean, a DM is the most stressful thing you can do. Never become a DM if you can avoid it. But uh, as a player, <laughs> everything's fun. All the character classes are fun. I had the most fun playing a paladin because they could do a little bit of everything. They could do some physical damage, some magical stuff. They can heal themselves so you don't got to rely on other people. <laughs> and tips for it, I'd say just don't worry too much about rules because there's a million of them. And if you're playing with other people that are experienced, they'll explain it to you as you go. Don't worry about trying to learn it all before you ever play. Uh, and that kind of leads into this next question uh, by HT. He actually uh, asked, is there an AEW D&D group that plays together that would be a killer YouTube show? Hey, there is. Uh, it's a YouTube show that we do called Critical Botch playing into the botches in wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it's it's myself, Peter Avalon, Leva Bates, best friends chuck and trent and orange cassie that we've all been playing a game together where we've done some at the live events that we hold for our pay-per-views we've done it a lot during the pandemic on twitch and then i would just transfer those videos onto youtube you could just look up critical botch but yeah we've all played i want to say uh 10 15 ish games somewhere around there together 
I think my favorite part of Critical Botch is that Chuck Taylor's name is Doc Martin. Yeah, just so you did another shoe. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't know that Chuck Taylor's were a shoe until he started being <laughs> Doc Martin. And then I was like, why do I know Doc Martin? And then he explained the whole joke to me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of shoes, how can we get through this podcast without talking about shoes? Hey. Jeff Swartz asks, please have Brandon list his top three shoes. Oh, geez. That I own? <laughs> because I, the Young Bucks own some shoes that I love, but I can't afford. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nick shows up at the J Balvin's last week and I'm like, oh my God, I want these so bad. I was going to say, that was my top shoe. That's my number one shoe I've loved since it's come out. I can't afford it though, but Nick bought it that week and I was so jealous. Yeah. But in my own collection, I love the Nerf shoes that I've been kind of known for. Yes. The ones that look like melted crayons. <laughs> Uh, what else? Oh, Nick just bought me for Christmas. There's some Jordan ones that are Cali Jordan ones where it looks like the California flag. It has the bear on it and a little star and it's uh, white and green and red. So that was a favorite one of mine just because I was like, hey, we got to represent Cali. There's a small group of us in the wrestling world from, from Cali that got to travel to the East Coast every week. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Thanks for your time, buddy. We are out of time here, but it's great to talk to you. You do so many different things. You're very entertaining behind the scenes, and uh, we appreciate you, Thank you guys. Uh, being with us. So you can uh, follow Brandon on Instagram and Twitter at Brand Cutler. That's B-R-A-N Cutler. You can uh, listen and follow his this podcast, AW Unrestricted, for free wherever you get your podcasts. And Check out our video episodes on YouTube. Just search AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey. And then don't forget, we're on your screen multiple days a week. We've got Dark Elevation Mondays. We've got Dark on Tuesdays. We've got Dynamite Wednesdays on TBS at 8 o'clock, 7 central. And we've got Rampage still on TNT Fridays, 10, 9 central. Thank you so much for listening to AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey and Tony here. Over and out. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Turn it.